Welcome to another edition of From the Front Lines, where we discuss both the day-to-day and one-of-a-kind issues facing real estate managers. Uh, thank you for joining us today. My name is Ted Thurn. I'm the Senior Director of Government Affairs here at IRAM, and we have Babby Jaco here with us today, uh, who's going to talk about rural housing and the properties that she manages. And Babby is not only our vice chair for the 2022 Federal Housing Advisory Board, she's also the vice president of 4KHEC. And Babby, uh, I understand that you've been involved in affordable rural housing since 1985. So you've seen many, many changes over the last 36 years. And can you give us, uh, from a 30,000 foot overview, tell us uh, about what has changed and what has not changed in the in this special housing niche? Ted, thank you for having me today to talk about what I really love. I have been doing this since 1985. And the one thing that has not changed are the residents that we serve. They're the same. But when I did start in this business back in the early 80s, it was so simple. You, you, the, the Managing the program was easy. Uh, for example, there was only one program typically involved, and that was Rural Development's 515 loan program. And it was very simple. To move somebody in, you, you just ask for a check stub and an ID, and you'd multiply that check stub out, and if they were eligible, boom, you moved them in. Today, most of our 515 properties are loaded with multiple programs such as your tax credit program. You may have a 538 guarantor, which is another lender um, where the rural development has guaranteed their loan. And then you've got maybe taxes and bonds and the most stringent of all rules apply. So now a typical move-in file is over a hundred pages. It has become very complex. But simply put, it, it now takes a very high level of management expertise, where in the early days, it was a simple program. So you've touched on the 515 program a little bit, but maybe you can explain a little bit more about how the 515 program works. And then my second question is, is that rural housing properties average about 32 units. Um, How do you manage 200 plus small apartment communities? It takes a lot of effort, Ted, (laughs) but let me digress to what the Rural Development 515 program is. It is a unique program that was set up by the government in the 70s that makes a direct and competitive mortgage loan It's amortized up to 50 years, typically has a 30-year term, and the effective interest rate is 1%. The tenants pay a basic rent, which is a floor, or 30% of their adjusted income, whichever is greater. If the property has rural development rental assistance, then the tenant's rent is subsidized, and that tenant would pay below that basic rent. We're giving 
rural development providing the difference to the project. So that rental assistance flows a lot like HUD's program, but with a little extra tweaks in it. Um, our budgets are running like little nonprofits. Those little 32 unit properties, you we call them zero-based budgets, which you budget to come in as budgeting to go right back out, um, funding the required reserves, um, meeting all the lender requirements, um, preparing for emergencies, taking care of everything that that property's needs would have for the next year. Uh, the return on these, the return on investment is limited. It is typically on a small property like what you just described is six to $10,000 a year if all of the stars are aligned. So, you know, for us, it's about scale. And so because we have 200, we're able to do this more on like a play out of the Chick-fil-A book. We've got, you know, processes and workflows that work well throughout utilizing technology and good software is critically important. For us, our secret sauce is our ge geographical footprint. Uh, for example, a uh, little town of Clinton, South Carolina. We we have five properties in that one town. Ten minutes away, Newberry, there's three properties. Another five minutes away in another town of Lawrence, there's four properties. So we're able to actually hire full-time staff and, and combine these units and give a really professional, effective management where if someone tried to manage one here or one 18 unit property by itself somewhere, that would be very difficult. We've scaled it. Gotcha. So we've talking about the the property these properties themselves, but you know, I don't think our members, a lot of them are aware of the type of tenants that live in these properties. And so can you talk a little bit about the tenants that live in these properties and why it's so important uh, to preserve this type of affordable housing? Well, that's where the passion is really. You know, rural America, whether you're in the deep south or you're in Michigan or somewhere in California, rural folks are they're special. We have, first of all, we're 97% of America's landmass when you look at it from that perspective. But we are, it's just a slower pace. Everyone knows your name. They probably knew your parents' names. And in our communities, you see people keep each other accountable. They, very few people who live within these rural communities, have lived outside those communities. They, I, I saw a study by Pew that showed 70% had not been outside of their communities in 11 years or more. There are some very vulnerable people who live in rural housing. For example, um, almost 60% of the Section 515 households are elderly or disabled. That's that's incredible. 26% are headed by persons of color and 73% are headed by women. Average income, now this is a countrywide average income, 
is less than $13,000. Um, so you've got a vulnerable population. You've also got the center of a community. When I look at pictures from activities that go on every day in our communities, I see potluck dinners, barbecues being held outside, walking clubs, fire safety demonstrations, you know, scouting, tutoring, COVID shot clinics, you name it, our communities, our, our, our Rural Development 515 communities are the center of where a lot of that takes place. Um, these properties are aging. Um, you know, whopping 90% of them at this point are 20 years or older. And it's incredibly important to preserve them. So I, I want to keep on that because you, you touched on a key point there of preservation. And I'd like for you to talk about, you know, how your group, you know, has created a trend to preserve large groups of, of 515 properties and, and what tools have you and your group used uh, for refinancing and, and preservation? It was kind of a funny story, Ted. We, we really saw the train coming down the track at us that the portfolio we had was aging um, and aging quickly and what were we gonna do? And we met uh, one day in our conference room when Larry Floyd, who was the multifamily director of um, rural development here in South Carolina, came to our office and encouraged us to try something new, bring ideas to the table. Uh, they, they were open. And, and even today, as I speak to Nancy and Bedell, rural development is open for business and they are open to ideas on how to make the how to make the refinancing work and what worked for us in the past really worked because we did succeed in renovating over 160 of our own deals and consulted on some other outside deals and it, it was amazing what we used as a tool was after we met with larry floyd about these ideas we partnered with Greystone Affordable Initiative, uh, Tanya Eastwood, who a lot, a lot of folks in the affordable world know Tanya, who's got a very special expertise in repositioning properties using the 538 Guarantee Program, which is a rural development program. We also partnered with Dana Bull, president of KHEC, a nonprofit Raleigh-based syndication firm. And then the rest was history. We blazed a trail of completing and refinancing just an incredible amount of, of renovations and, and repositioning of, of those for long-term. In a typical portfolio, what we did was we combined uh, on the low end, maybe 20. And on the higher end, there were 44 in the state of Georgia under a common financing plan. We used the 4% uh, low-income housing credits, um, new loan proceeds, uh, using that 538 guarantee money where needed. But what was really cool was that once we closed, okay, and we started the renovations, we had a method called, we, we called it ourselves, the big push. We finished eight to 10, totally gutting 
the units, not the sheetrock, but like gutting the kitchens, gutting the bathrooms and reinstalling everything from HVACs, water heaters, cabinets, countertops, plumbing, new smoke detectors, tubs, toilets, vanities, you got it all. Everything but flooring and painting from eight to six and eight to 10 units a day occupied. Wow. And we never missed a deadline. And it was intense and it was a ton of work. Um, we learned tricks of the trade as we went through this. You know, we tried our very first one and then we had South Carolina phase two and we went to Georgia and we did some in North Carolina, et cetera. And, and it's become almost routine. And that included everything from roofs and windows and playgrounds and focused on enhancing and complying with accessibility uh, requirements. And the end result is something that we are all really proud of. And by replacing all of this and, and we reset, we reset these properties for the next, you know, for the next generation, for the next future. Um, and, you know, we wondered when we tried that first set, were, we, were they going to be good? Was it really going to be as good? Would it last? And um, the answer is yes, it has. It has, it has stood the test of time. And now others, uh, our, our industry friends have come to us for, you know, how did you do this? I'm working on one. And so it has spread and throughout the country with people taking a shot at it and doing well at it. That, that, that's fantastic, Babby. Thank, thank you for sharing that story. Um, I'd like to just close and, and I don't wanna, so can you kinda, and I don't wanna leave on a, on a downer note, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you guys face? And I know you, you've already touched on that, but, but more of what, what are some of the opportunities that, that you're seeing, seeing in rural housing for the you know, foreseeable future? I would say right now, one of our worries is the demand and competition for tax exempt bonds, which is the vehicle for us to obtain that 4% credit are becoming more difficult. There's just so much competition for them because a lot of developers, uh, non-rural development properties are using that vehicle now. And so that's put a lot of stress on the available, the available bonds. Um, this is obviously not for the faint of heart. We have got an amazing staff around us that make all this happen along with that geographical footprint. And this model would not be for everyone. Um, for us, we owned the properties and we managed them. And regardless for us, it was all about fixing the properties, making sure that we took care of all those property needs. Um, so I think that the, the bonds are the big concern for, the, for, for our model. Um, and without that, without that assurance of these bonds, the state's rural housing portfolio preservation, it will stop. It would, could stop cold until somebody figures out something new, right? Um, and in the meantime, the properties continue to age. You've got, what, 500,000 of these units across the country. You've also got, when you talk about opportunity for us, um, 
there's aging general partners out there who need an exit strategy, which uh, is something that we did. We were WWJ. I was the J of the WW. <laughs> and we exited so that we could park our 450 employees and 15,000 residents in a safe spot because we had a partnership of individuals and we're a little concerned about, well, what if one of us dies? Then where does that leave our company? So we exited by selling to KHEC, which was our syndication wing. They wanted to expand their business line. And so now we're KHEC management. And our employees, I will tell you, we didn't know what the reaction would be because many have been with us 35 years and they said, thank you. We were worried about that. We didn't know what would happen if something happened to, to one of the three of y'all. And so that's the opportunity, I believe, too. And um, I think that one of the things we love about rural development is that it is truly a partnership where they're coming to us and we're going to them, help us find solutions for our common, our common goal. And they do work with us. And the leadership at Rural Development has said, bring us your ideas, and they're open to them. And I think in that tone alone, the future is very bright. Well, Babby, I'd just like to thank you uh, for spending some time with us today to share all this great information, all these great stories, uh, the great importance of uh, maintaining and, and continuing to manage uh, rural affordable housing. And, and I'd just like to thank you again and, and appreciate it. And if anybody has any questions, you know, they can contact us here at IRAM. Uh, but thank you again, Babby, for, for everything and, and appreciate it. Okay, Chad, thank you so much for having me. A quick programming note from the front lines will be taking a short holiday break and will return in January of 2022. Happy holidays, everyone. Visit irem.org for more knowledge to take on real estate management's most dynamic challenges. That's www.irem.org.